Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Father, we just thank you that when you gave each one of us the privilege to go into all the world to preach the gospel or to minister the gospel to everyone, that you also graced us and you enabled us. And so, Father, we just thank you that as we uh, pick up tips to supernatural soul winning, that there is an anointing on the ears of those that are listening this evening, and that there is a grace that continues to come upon them and that they grow in this beautiful assignment that you've given us to partner with you for your plans and purposes on the earth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Numbers of years ago, I was on an airplane, (laughs) and it was pre-COVID. And when I was on this airplane doing one of the things that uh, is part of uh, the normal life of a believer, as I was sitting next to a young lady, I believe I was on a flight, an international flight to Malaysia, and I was on the domestic part of that flight that was going from Brisbane uh, to Sydney. And when I was on that flight, because I'm alone, and I'm alive, and I'm in the world, I'm always listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit to see if there's an assignment waiting for me because I'm in a world where I am surrounded by the lost. And I was sitting next to quite a nice young lady, and you know, when you fly, you don't always want someone to speak with you. And so I sort of had a sense in my heart that I was on duty, but I needed to find the timing of the Lord. And so while I was on duty, Uh, We were probably about 15, 20 minutes at the most from uh, arriving into Sydney that I began to sense that it was the timing of the Lord and we had been just served some, you know, juice and some little snack. And so there was an opportunity to exchange, you know, can I hand you this, can I hand you that, and et cetera. And in the course of that normal everyday interchange, I began to chat with this girl And when I began to chat with her, one of the things I asked her was, uh, uh, where was she going? Was Sydney her last stop? And she said at this moment in time, it was her current destination, that she was on the way to uh, an event where she was going to be honored as the top salesperson in all of Australia for the company that she worked for. She was in probably late 20s. And so when we were chatting, I asked her what she did, and she told me that she worked for one of Australia's top travel organizations where young, cool Aussies buy these tickets, and they go on these amazing excursions around the world. And uh, I asked her what exactly was her assignment. And she said that her job position was one in which she would train these travel agents and take them on excursions so that they could sell these programs. And in order to do that, she would go on these trips by herself, and she would check out the hotels, she would check out uh, the buses, the internal domestic transport, and uh, places that would be hot spots for a wild time, uh, you know, somewhere overseas. And I asked her if she was really good at her job, and she said, you know what, I'm really good at my job. And she said, when I train the travel agents and I take them with me, she said, they get a sense of the trip. They know how to sell that trip. They know how to sell where the excursion's going to take them. And I asked her about some other things that happened. I said, on those trips, 
are the young Australians wild? She says, oh, wild. They're really wild. And she said, I set up places that they could go to be wild. And I said, and you just told me you're an expert at this. She said, I am. And I said, where are some of the places that you set up trips? And she said, I've set them up around Europe. I set them up on islands. I set them up in tropical locations. I set them up in places that are, you know, a little dangerous, and mountains, and climbing, and horses. She said, I can get you anywhere in the world if you decide you want to go there. I'm brilliant at that. And she said, on top of that, if something happens, I can tell you how to switch to a train. I can tell you how to switch to a bus. I can tell you how to go by road. And she said, we're Worse off, you could hitchhike. She said, I'm really good at my job. And I said, well, that's really amazing. So you know almost the way to get almost everywhere. Give me the time. She said, I would. And I said, well, do you have a moment for me to ask you a question? She said, yeah, go ahead. And I said, well, you know how to set up excursions and trips for people all over the world, and you're good at it. She said, I am. I'm getting an award from it. I said, well, let me ask you this question. I said, do you have any idea how to get to heaven? She said, I have no idea. And I said, well, the interesting thing is, I'm an expert at that. I can tell you how to get to heaven. And I said, different than the excursions that you're telling me about, that you could switch to a plane and a bus and a train, hitchhike if you had to. I said, the interesting thing where there could be many roads to Paris It's so simple to tell you about heaven. There's just one road. And so I shared with her in that supernatural, divine, soul-winning moment on that airplane how to get to heaven. And with that interchange of God using a believer to meet with someone who doesn't know him, she asked Jesus Christ into her heart. And moments before we landed into Sydney, just moments, someone who could tell young, wild Australians, how to get everywhere. Jesus had set up an encounter in which a believer sat next to someone who didn't know, and they shared the plan of salvation and how to get to heaven. It was a pretty amazing moment. But you know that net of love that God gives us the opportunity to be involved in, where ordinary men and women get the opportunity to connect with Jesus Christ on assignments around the world. Ordinary believers empowered by an extraordinary God will give us divine strategies to bring the message of the gospel or the wonderful story of Jesus to those who do not yet know him. And that young lady on the airplane was just one of the encounters that many believers can share. It happens to be one of my stories. But I want to tell you about another story. When I was arriving in Australia in 1978, I was on an airplane that went from uh, Seattle, Washington to Auckland, New Zealand, and then on into Melbourne. And when I was on that airplane, I got a little tourist booklet. And in that tourist booklet, I was on my way to, the, uh, to Australia to uh, save Australia for Jesus. I really had that fervor that one soul could arrive in a nation and turn the world upside down. I went with that intensity. Not quite sure it turned out exactly like that, but I've been faithful to my part. So I was on the airplane. 
my first encounter in Australia, and I was handed a tourist booklet. And in that tourist booklet, I read this. And this is incredible. This is the prophetic word over the nation of Australia that I was initially introduced to in a book, a tourist book, on the way to Australia. It told me that in 1606, there was a Portuguese navigator that was part of the Spanish voyages of discovery to the Pacific Ocean. He was a devout Catholic captain. His name was Pedro Fernandez de Quiros. And I say it this way, that when he spied through his eyeglass out over the horizons of the Pacific Ocean, that he spied this nation and gave this nation, by the very prophetic nature of God speaking to man, the name Australia, which means La Australia del Espiritu Santos, the great south land of the Holy Spirit, or the great south land of the Holy Ghost. And he also went on to declare that that holy and sacred evangel, or the Christian gospel, he declared a freedom for this nation, may be preached zealously and openly. And it's from that that we, of course, have moved into uh, the move of God that's taking place within this nation. Now, where I discovered that in a tourist booklet, let me talk to you about some of my first days in Australia in 1978. Somehow following the voice of the Holy Spirit to the land down under, I discovered that I was in the middle of a revival that was taking place in a nation that was primarily not born again and yet described as a Christian nation. So in 1978, I was personally involved in participating in a great move of God within this nation. I moved from Melbourne to Sydney, and when I was there, I worked with any a notable uh, minister of the gospel that was involved in bringing revival to this nation. And he had put together the largest interdenominational um, uh, conference at the Ran- that was going to meet at the Randwick Race Course in Sydney. 17,000 believers came from all over Australia. Some of them were meeting in the outback in Ampol uh, Servos, in homes, some were meeting in basements of churches. Some of them were the, uh, the, the little old ladies that would meet in the great cathedrals of denominational churches that had simply, as since at that point in time, emptied out, praying that God would do something mighty within this nation. And so when this, when this conference opened, they turned to the Catholics and some others, the charismatic Catholics, to begin to share with the evangelicals about how the move of the Holy Ghost. And they came primarily to learn to speak in other tongues. And then when they did so, they came to sing in the Spirit. And for the first time in my life, I'd never seen anything like it before, where masses of people, when the teaching was brought forth, began to speak in other tongues that had never spoken the language of tongues and angels before. And then they began to sing in the Spirit. And we moved for those moments till we joined the Catholics uh, at Sydney Town Hall. And in Sydney Town Hall, the Catholics were there, nuns and priests from all over the world. Uh, The priests were in, you know, vestments from uh, beautiful 
regalia investments from uh, other nations. And it was absolutely beautiful, the robes. And I was among, I was among Catholics. There were a few evangelicals there were all peeking in. And some of them, like myself, were trying to see what this really was. Being new to the things of charismata or things of the Holy Ghost, I was really having a good look, and I thought, my goodness, if the Catholics have discovered this, and it feels heavenly, I need to take a look at this. I need to take a look at this. The nuns and the priests began to dance as the beautiful uh, scripture and song was played. They weren't doing much Catholic, uh, you know, ritual things. They were doing supernatural things. They, the whole audience, Catholics, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the nuns and the priests raising their hands and worshiping the Lord and having these, these looks on their faces as if they could see into the realm of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about the things that God has intended for the nation of Australia, may, you, may I quickly tell you that 1606, when it was declared, was really only just someone tapping into what God has always intended before the foundation of the earth, always has intended. And so as we pick up, you know, secrets and strategies to supernatural soul winning, we simply strip, slipstream into the move of God that God has always had purposed and intended for him and his church on the earth. You know, there is a special hour and day in which we really are here. And there is wisdom that is absolutely needed for this hour. The Bible tells us that we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so as we're bringing this material to you this evening, I'm going to encourage you to begin to think of the lost people that you know. Begin to let the Lord bring them to your heart and to your mind. People in this nation, people in this town, people in your family, but that you would begin to connect with God on his heart and his purpose for them to be born again. It's our time to be alive on the earth, and we were born to participate in and take part in fulfilling God's plans and purposes on the earth. And you know what? Because we're born again in our group, we're baptized by the Holy Ghost, we have what it takes to be victorious. It is in us, and it is upon us. The other deal is, is that we don't have to walk in any sort of doubt or fear because who we are in connection with God, we've got inside intel. We've got the real info because we know how things are going to end. We know where they're going to go, and we know by the power of the word, by the power of the spirit, and by the testimony of Jesus himself that it's going to go God's way. It's going to go God's way, and there is, as you can sense, an acceleration. It appears that at this time there is an acceleration on the earth within the realm of the spirit. Things seem to be speeding up. And I believe that we could say partly in, in truth, it's because the time of the Lord is at hand. And so in this season, in order to be the New Testament church or the New Covenant church is really what I want to say, the New Covenant church and New Covenant people, we're going to want to continue to become mature and leaning into the spirit of the living God so that we can lean into his wisdom and understand the times and, and the hours and the season 
and learn to flow with the divine declaration of heaven for this nation and for the earth. Let me quickly share. You know, there was another historic moment that absolutely rocked the world. It changed the world for all time. And let me take you to the day of Pentecost that is recorded in the book of Acts. In the day of Pentecost, there was a prophetic activity that took place. And when Jesus ascended into heaven and he told the church that, that were re- re- ready to rally and to gather, don't hang around here forever. At some point in time, really soon, you need to go to uh, Jerusalem and there you will receive the promise of the Father and you will be baptized and you will be born again and you will be baptized with the spirit of the living God and it will give you the ability, supernatural power to minister on my behalf. And those souls, they lickety split right down there and the spirit of the Lord came to the earth and they were supernaturally transformed by the salvation of Jesus entering their lives and his spirit coming upon them. And immediately they did as he had always intended. They left where they had the experience and they went out into the world and they all, each and every one of them, men and women began to bring a message. The Bible talks about the fact when you look at the meaning of some words that at that moment they became a different species, a species that had never been, that had never existed on the face face of the earth. It messed up biology and science. They became children of God. And that's who we are. We're children of God. And on that day, there was a releasing a releasing of the power of God that would come upon us in order to minister, to do the things and the works of Jesus Christ. You know, many times when you get a sense of walking in the power that God has given us and the purposes and intentions of his heart for mankind on the earth, we often kind of reflect back on Adam and Eve in the garden who they got to walk with God. I want to quickly qualify Their season walking with him was incredibly short because of some of the decisions that they made. Do you know that when the minute we get born again, we walk with him 24-7. He lives within us, and when you understand that he is alive in us, we have the opportunity to regularly, when we're awake and where we're asleep, to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus when we got born again. You know, at that moment of time on the day of Pentecost, there was a spiritual empowerment that came to do the things that he had indeed called us and purposed us. I think a good word is that he's purposed us to do. And then to add to it, to give us some extra, you know, fuel for this flame that would come in our hearts when we got born again. He gave us the gift of speaking in other tongues. That when anything would come our direction, we could go into the language of the Spirit and we could intersect immediately with God in heaven and pray out absolutely powerful, perfect prayers that would change anything on the face of the earth. And then he left us this powerful holy book. This powerful holy book that's like no other book that's ever been written. The Bible, uh, when you study it out, the, you know, the historians tell us The scriptures tell us that it was God-breathed, penned from the very throne of heaven, from the heart of the Father. It is a book of inspiration, 
a book that's historic, it's prophetic, gives us guidance and instruction. It's a book of revelation, and there is no other book on the face of the earth quite like it. It is a holy book. It is the Holy Bible. And so you can see that these, these tools that God, uh, that, this holy, that we were left, getting born again, baptizing the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, having a book that's, you know, the kryptonite of the religious world. I mean, it's God's book that we have indeed been outfitted for supernatural soul winning. And from the very beginning, we have been positioned by God himself to be involved and be to, to be called to a grassroots revival. Another way that you could say is that we've been purposed and fashioned after God to be the voice of God to our world in the time, the hour, and the season and generation in which we live. In order for the gospel to be proclamated, the gospel needs a voice. And so he gave the, the privilege of sharing about him to absolutely every believer. There's not a soul in the room, not a soul in the earth from the time that we could get born again that has not been given this opportunity and this privilege. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 28, he said this, and it was, it was, it, it was the giving of a gift from God to us. He said, go into all the world and preach or minister. This is a sacred assignment the gospel or the good news to absolutely everyone. And in verse 20, the response of those that heard it at that time was this, they went everywhere. They, get, they got it that God had given them a privilege and they were like, let us get on the camels and go. They were given this great privilege and they took it and they ministered absolutely everywhere they went. And it goes on to say that the Lord worked with them and worked through them. It says the Lord worked through them, confirming what they had said, what they had said. He worked through them with what they had said. What were they declaring? The oracles and principles and the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said when he did so, he showed himself to be alive by many miraculous signs and wonders and miracles. It's the same connection that we have. There's a lot of big questions that Christians sometimes ask themselves, you know, the big Christian questions. And questions run like this, like, what's my mission? Like, what's my purpose in life? You know, those little questions. What am I here for? Well, what is your mission? Well, I think we could, we could boil it down to two simple things that the Bible clearly talks about. And one is that there are two kinds of calls callings. You could talk about it other ways, but I'm just going to reduce it to two. One is that there are personal callings, specific callings that are given to every believer. That's God's divine and holy assignment for you. That is your purpose here on the earth. And then we could talk about a second category and we could call these general callings. These are callings in regards to the plans and purposes of God for the world. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, to go into all the world to minister the gospel to everyone is a general calling given to every believer, the privilege to every believer. Well, then you could ask yourself this question. You go on further and ask yourself this question. How then can I fulfill this calling in my life? 
in a, in a modern world? How can I actually do that? What's the answer to that question? And we can say here that the mission of God is carried out. Here's how the mission of God is carried out. The mission plans and purposes of God are carried out by a man or a woman sent by God who goes into their world to bring them a message from God. The mission of God is carried out by a man or a woman sent by God who goes into their world to bring them a message from God. Let's have a look at one of those guys in the Bible. Let's go to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And it's a model of God's plan for getting his message to, his peop- to the people. And here we see that God always, when he has a message or purpose or a plan, he always sends a man or a woman or a child or a teenager. And here we re- read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the word, and we understand that uh, this is concerning Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines where? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then there was a man, there was a man, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. Powerful. But as many as received him, To them gave he the power or the right to become children of God to those who truly believe in his name, who were not born not of blood, not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when we look at the assignments, the divine and holy assignments that God has his purpose and intentions on the, earth, on the earth. We understand that he will select a man or a woman, teenager, child, and ask them to carry his message, the wonderful story of Jesus. You know, one of the things that you might want to uh, consider is who does he call us to do this with? You know, what are the lost really like? You know, that's our mission field. So we're going to deal with the lost, and I'm going to share with you some things that I think you'll find are intriguing. I'll share with you that where Christians may have questions about what my mission is, that the lost indeed have questions. They have serious questions that they're confronted with over and over and over again. And you may say, I know some lost people, and they don't seem to be asking any question. I'm going to give you the Bible on that. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Bible says that we are a tripart being. And let me share with you that we're not just a tripart being when we're born again. We have been fashioned, when God created us, each and every one of us 
our body, soul, and spirit. And so even though people are not born again, they have been fashioned in this way. And so there is a part of man that has been designed and fitted out to always question things in regard to eternity. From the spirit of man is the intersection where man has an opportunity to connect with God. But when they are not connecting with God, that part of their being, it's like a certain part of a car or a certain part of a body, if you're medical, it is simply designed to function in a way in which it would reach out and search out for eternal things. And whether someone who is not born again in front of you may hotly uh, declare that they don't give a rip about tomorrow, they don't understand. They were designed to care. Whether they have the information or not, whether they have the inclination or not, they were made that way. And so there's not a person on the face of the earth that is in your, your world of not being born again that wasn't fashioned like that. They have a spirit. They have a spirit. And because of that spirit, that at this point in time, until they're born again, is not open, is not alive to God, there are serious questions that will come up from time to time because they're fashioned that way. And there will be things about moments in time, particularly in this season, where there is an assessment of their mortality. The top serious questions that non-believers ask are, what happens when I die? Is there life after death? Does everyone go to heaven? Am I going to heaven? And how do I get to heaven? And if the lost are from some other culture or religious tradition uh, in which certain things are taught that by human effort, they can do, if they do their best, they can access a seed in heaven, they will often ask because of the amount or the excellence or lack of excellence of their human efforts or work, they will ask themselves this question, have I done enough? And has it been good enough? Am I going to make it to heaven? So never be fooled or never be intimidated are put off by the fact that someone not yet alive or aware of the things of God doesn't function like that. They were designed like that. They were born like that. And there will always be, until man or woman or child, human being is born again, there will always be a gap, that full sense of completeness. It will never be there until they open their heart to Jesus Christ. They live in our world as the walking spiritual dead. They really do. We're surrounded by those that are spiritually dead. And one of the secrets to supernatural soul winning is that we would become more sensitive and earnest about the understanding of becoming eternal, eternity-minded. That as we move through our world, we understand the world that we're walking in. That we would have a sense of being eternity-minded and, and that we would, we would walk with a greater spiritual understanding of our mission our task, our mission field, and we would develop our spiritual ears and eyes so that we could understand how we need to minister to those that are in our world. A tip to supernatural soul winning is that we minister with a sense of eternity in mind, what the need is and what's available. And so with that kind of thought in mind, we can talk about that when we use the Bible 
as the foundation of the premise of what we would share or the message, you will find that the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.12 that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it goes on to declare that when we develop a confidence in the tools that we have, both speaking in tongues and praying, praying with our understanding, simply talking to God on behalf of others and using the power of the word and the sense and the essence of the fact that he is in us and wherever we go, he is ministering through us. You can understand that when we use the power of the word, that it is active, it is alert, it is alive, it is as if God himself is speaking again through us, through us. And they are hearing it. Where are they hearing it? The only place that the Bible itself really targets and impacts in, the, in a man is through the realm of their spirit or their heart. Whether they may speak back to you intellectually or not, that is not where it went. The word of God is targeted and designed to always directly go to the heart or the spirit of mankind, and when they're not born again, whether they're ready to receive it or not, I'm going to tell you it's where it went. It's how it works. And so we can understand that as we do these kinds of things and we minister with a sense of eternity and the power of the word that we're ministering from, E.W. Kenyon says it this way. He said, remember that when you're dealing with the lost, you're dealing with eternal personalities, That person is eternal, and when you're dealing with them on eternal matters, you're dealing with them with eternal issues, and you need to, in order to stay on track, you need to say, uh, uh, you need to keep a sense of the fact that you're dealing with things that are eternal. Now, because we're full of the power of God, we are too also, as believers, intersecting with God, active, we're, we're alert. We can be alert or non-alert, but we have the capability of being alert to these things. We can be top operators in the realm of the spirit in order to minister to the lost. We can be energized and effective by the sense of the power of God resident within us and upon us to do the works that he's called us to do. In fact, the Bible says in Jeremiah 1.12 that God himself and his word are active and alert, always watching over his word to perform it. Numbers of years ago, I said with Pastor Glenn Hankins, I was going to mention him in this service. I was with he and his wife's church in the Gold Coast, and we were doing an outreach in Cavill Mall. And we had a team that had his children extremely talented. Uh, they could do anything, singers, dancers, uh, preach the gospel. They're amazing and both good looking. And so we were out in the mall, and we were uh, in Cavill Mall presenting the gospel with songs and music and there was a man that passed by. You know, Cavill Mall can be really busy on a Friday or a Saturday night. And a man passed by that was a tourist from Canada. And Pastor Glenn was sharing the gospel with him, as was a friend of mine that was attending this church until she moved to New Zealand. And they shared the gospel with this Canadian tourist, and he sort of slightly brushed them off and in some ways looked somewhat disinterested. But they go, went ahead and shared the gospel. We're talking about the power of the word that's active and alive and the sense of the fact that it's eternal and it forever speaks. Numbers of years later, the young lady that had been with Pastor Glenn at that time was a student from Australia, an Australian student. 
in Rama Bible Training College in the United States, and she was sitting in a class in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was an international student from Australia. And in that class were some nice people who stood up to give a testimony. They were kind of notice, noticeable. And everybody knew that they were pastors, and they were pastors from Canada. And the young man and the couple stood up, and they said, you know, numbers of years ago, we never really thought much about Jesus, but we were on holiday in Australia, and we were passing through a mall on the Gold Coast, and a pastor came and talked to us, and another young lady, and we took the track, that, and the, we heard the plan of salvation. We kind of brushed it off. He said, but I couldn't get it out of my mind, and in time, I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. In Canada, they, they pioneered a church. A few years later, they thought, we don't know enough. We've got to go to Bible college and learn more to minister. And they stood up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a girl that had been there on the streets with them where the word has gone forth, and it had continued to work in their lives because God was alert and he was working, and he was performing those things that concern him. We might ask ourselves the question when we are eternity-minded, uh, what does that really mean? I, I, I sense that we could give ourselves the title of, of new revivalists. Uh, we could be, uh, maybe we could call ourselves world changers. The question we might want to ask ourselves is, what is the posture of a mobilized believer? What would that look like? Well, one of the ways that we can talk about that posture is that we could identify this, that we would be ones that are always ready to minister the love of God. We're going to show you a video uh, with uh, starring uh, myself, Benny, and Marisa about being in the posture of taking on this position. I can be on assignment for the Lord. And uh, one of those places is my neighborhood. We're sitting here outside of my patio. And, uh, you know, just recently, uh, the Lord put it on my heart that Emily, who lives next door, is really one of my assignments. And I can hear over the fence, sometimes through the wall, that Emily has been suffering sometimes in a variety of different areas. And as I was listening, I realized that I really couldn't just be a neighbor, that God had put me on assignment, and if I really, cared about her like Jesus does, I needed to pray for her. And so I began to pray for Emily and had have encounters in the parking lot near where we park our cars, different things like that. On occasion, I would text her through my wall to say, hey, Emily, I'm praying for you. I'm believing from those encounters that I've had with her that at some point in time, I or someone else will have the opportunity to lead Emily to Jesus. But I needed to be uh, her friend because I love Jesus. That's good. Well, I find that um, I go to the hairdressing um, distribution and I meet up with the girls there and they know me really well. But just recently that it's like the Lord had said to me when I was driving there, one of the girls will need prayer today. So they didn't know I was a Christian, but um, they soon did. And so I went in there and just struck up a conversation because we already know each other. And I just asked them if they needed prayer and this girl started crying and so... Now when I go in there, they know that I'm the Christian and so it's great that I can just keep building relationship with them and I, last week I went in again and there was another girl that I sensed that needed prayer and struck it up again and, and 
that's where the Lord's using me at the moment is just through that relationship with them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, my wife and I, we've been working on a sushi train and at the sushi train there's you know different cooks, there's different um, waiters and my wife and I have just been like bonding with them, um, just being friends, being um, you know people that they could just come to and feel like you know they can talk to us and uh, they won't feel any sort of uh, condemnation or just judgment but um, they could just uh, trust um, us and we find that a privilege and an honor and each time we go to our shift we're just checking our heart and just seeing if the Lord has anything for us to give to different individuals um, we're not going right in there with a Jesus or going to heaven or something so direct but over time just while talking with them they might say hey where did you guys meet and we could let them know church and then we'd ask them about church background or um, what are you guys up to you know later today and we might say we're going to youth or we're going to serve at our church and they're like, oh okay hey do you have any youth experience and just over time we've just built relationship and um, one of the biggest things that have resonated with Eve and I is just seeing the importance of being um, a friend to those that are in the world and leaving a, an impression where they can go back and say, I met a Christian that yeah. wasn't goofy or weird, yeah. but was just genuine and real. And I like that. And uh, we've had that report from different ones. They're just like, you know, you guys, I might not agree with everything uh, that you guys are doing, but I respect it and I like you guys. So yeah. that's been a blessing mm -hmm. to us. So we've really enjoyed getting to know people who don't know the Lord. And while we've done that, uh, we've made relationship with them on purpose because of Jesus and that we've uh, shared every time we possibly could any sort of ways where we can uh, uh, operate in the love of God and that we know that they know that we care about them. Uh, we just love people and we know people need the Lord. You know, it says in the word of God that Jesus himself, uh, God sent Jesus to the earth and then the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, we see that uh, the mission of God on the earth, and we can see this described in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. We're talking about connecting with God on divine and holy assignments, missions that he will give us within our world. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, his mission is this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then further on in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance or to uh, turn from dead works to live a life with Jesus Christ. He has been on this mission uh, the, ever since he left the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that's important as a secret to supernatural soul winning is to understand that we join God in his work. He invites us on his mission. And it says here that mission that he calls us to join him on is a mission of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but instead that the world through him might be saved and the extension of that love is found in Romans 10 verse 13 for whosoever whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved 
I want to help us all in training for the secrets to supernatural soul winning to help us with the right perspective in maintaining an eternity mind or being eternity minded. Uh, the right perspective is, is that uh, uh, people, if we could go ahead and have that slide, people often see mission as something we initiate or they see themselves joining God at work. Uh, that they excuse me they see themselves as God not that one the one with the spectacles they see themselves where God is joining at them at work in other words when they go on mission they're hoping and they're seeing that God is going to be the one uh, that joins them at work but you see ever since God sent his son to the earth he left the Holy Spirit and please don't think that the Holy Spirit just hangs around in the corridors of the world and is doing nothing. This is the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, and he is here, and the Holy Spirit has been moving at the voice of God himself ever since he came to the earth. So the right perspective is this. That when we go on assignment, we see our mission as joining God at work. We see our mission as joining God at work. Two modern theologians say it this way. It's not the church which undertakes mission. Instead, it is the missio dei, or the mission of God, which constitutes the church. Let me say it another way. Christopher Wright says it this way. It's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission. It is not so much that God has a mission for his church on the earth or in the world, but that God has a church for his mission. The secret to supernatural soul winning is to maintain the understanding that we are, and then the next slide, please, that we are joining God on mission in our world. And our world is made of our office, the grocery stores, our family, uh, everywhere we go that might be on holiday, but we join God in that place on mission. And in that place on mission, you're going to find that God continues beckoning us by the promptings of his spirit when our spirits are open to him and our arts, our spiritual ears are open to him. He's continually asking us to join him. He's continually asking us to join him. Can you imagine him not? Can you imagine God moving on the earth and not prompting us to join him? Could you possibly imagine? It said in Mark 16, 20, and they went out and ministered or preached everywhere. The Lord was working with them. Why was he? Because he was on assignment. And they were joining him on mission. Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. In other words, this partnership is divine, holy, eternal, and forever. I am on assignment, join me. I'm on assignment, join me. I'm going to move to this. Uh, I, will I will stop at this session for just a moment. We have other things to bring, but we're dealing with uh, some technical issues. Benny, if you could just come up, and we'll close this session in a very small, easy way, and then we will carry on. I'll turn it over to Benny for seconds.
We're just going to um, take a quick break, 30 seconds, don't go anywhere, especially if you're on live stream. It's good to have you here, welcome. Um, so yeah, feel free just to have a bit of a wiggle, but don't leave the room. We'll be back in about 20 seconds. Okay, so now we're going to continue our second session and handing back to Pastor Karen Workentine. All righty, did you wiggle in the crowd at home? Did you wiggle? Good little wiggle, we can keep going. We're talking about divine and holy assignments and our outfitting for them. Uh, and uh, the, uh, in, this in this session, we're going to start with the concept of the urgency of the hour. Uh, and uh, there is a slide, if we could have that slide, representing the urgency of the hour. So one of the things is that when we talk about uh, the church moving forward, following the Holy Spirit, beckoning us to join him on mission, that in this season, uh, in order to take our place on the earth, this is a, needs to be a season of, of action where the church is activated to move with the times. The word action and to be activated means to set into motion. You know, in a, a military setting, there are two kinds of troops. There are reserves and there are those that are in action. But in a time of war, the reserves are called up and it is time to put all the tro troops into place and called into active duty. It is a time in which we are in a season demanding the reserves to come out of the ranks and to move into action. These are, this is a season of divine and holy assignments. And as we move forward, the Bible tells us that the days are drawing to a close. In fact, we could say it this way, that many people within the church worldwide are saying this. Everything is getting, seems like it's getting wrapped up and that the day of the Lord is at hand. It says in John 9, verse uh, 4 from the NLT that we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us because the night is coming in which no man can work. The Bible talks about us being watchmen, but we're not watchmen in this season sitting in a chair just looking out over the edge of the great walls to see if there's any little animals rustling around down there or if there are real enemies. We are watchmen that are running along the wall. We are fervently in our places in this season when we have been infused and activated by the power of God, following his prompting to do that which he calls us to do. We, if we take our place within this season, will be involved in one of the gra late grass, glass, Late, last, the word last, lost, the what last moves of the Holy Spirit. This partnership, us and ma mankind and God, is, is supernatural. We're on mission. When we join him on mission in this season, the Bible talks about this being harvest time. It says in John chapter 4, verse 35, John chapter 4, verse 35, if we could have that slide, you know the saying, 
four months between planting and harvesting. But I say, and he said this, he said, but I say to you, wake up, look around. The fields are already white unto harvest. The fields are already white unto harvest. How could he possibly say that? Because the minute that the Holy Spirit had come, Jesus had been died, buried, and ascended into heaven. It was the season of salvation. And the season of the salvation is the season of harvest time. Look, don't be misunderstanding this. Look, the season is white unto harvest. The Bible says because of the heart of God that it's time to bring in the precious fruit of the earth. And the fruit of the earth are the people in our world. If you begin to continue, allow the Lord to bring people to your mind and to your heart, those people are the precious fruit of the earth that Jesus is waiting for before he returns. This dynamic intersection where we join God on mission impacts the earth. We impact the earth with the power of God when we pray for the lost, when we minister the love of God, when we befriend someone for behalf of the sake of the gospel, when we share the gospel, when we tell the wonderful story of Jesus, when we journey with people and get to help and help them to get to know and understand the things of God. In this season, we are conduits and we are connectors for the power of God. We are conduits and connectors for the power of God, for the powerless. We are the conduits and connectors of the power of God, the voice of God for the powerless, for the lost. The love of God is, is, is talked about in, in, in John chapter 3, 16 through 17. It says this, what, what is man that you're mindful of him? You know, they're asking God, what, 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 is, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is mankind that, that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? Again, for God so loved the world. I want to introduce uh, uh, an, another uh, tool, and we started to talk about this in our last seminar session. Another tool for the move for uh, for engaging with the power of God on the earth. And I want to talk about uh, prayer evangelism. When we talk about ways that believers in the church can be poised. To minister within our world, the power of prayer is absolutely foundational and it is significant. I want to tell you about a move of God, a move of God that started with prayer in the nation of Australia. There was a man that began to pray and he prayed that there would be a move among the believers that God would move within this city, a notable sized city within this nation. And he began to meet with some other believers and they began to be infused with a sense of the power of God that could impact their world and could change their world in a significant, prayer, in a significant way. And they began to pray. And they began to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that God would move. There was a cry in their hearts. The prayer that they were praying was based on the premise from 1 Timothy 2, 1, 3, and 4. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, it says, First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of church, the, of the knowledge of the truth. As they began to pray, they got a divine and a holy strategy from God, and they began to set that, divide that city up by blocks. 
and they began to pray. They were they called their prayer cells lighthouses. And there were lighthouses all throughout this city in Argentina. And in these lighthouses, every day, as he divided the city up by blocks, every day a lighthouse would pray for a particular block. And in time, there were 600, over 635 lighthouses. And in time, every person in that city that was not born again was prayed for by a believer so that there would be a move of God within that city and there would be a revival among the lost. Outreaches, outreaches began to be uh, springing up everywhere within that city. Soon the church was beginning to minister to people on street corners. People were running into people that they understood believers, and, and they would meet them in, in neighborhood shops. They would meet them in places of business. They would be family members who didn't know the Lord that began to ask questions, these eternal questions that they were designed and made for, made to ask. People began to ask believers for Bibles. People, believers began to be known as people within that community who were people that knew God. And if they were people that knew God, they began to call out to them for healing. They began to call out to them to have them pray for broken marriages and, and for wayward children and financial troubles. And the believers began to do that. And then they went on and they began to speak blessings over these families. Can you imagine beginning to speak blessings over families that didn't deserve it because they weren't born again? But as a conduit between God and man, believers were beginning to pray that the power of God would infiltrate their homes, that his goodness and his love would be experienced in their homes. And they knew because they were friends of God that they could go to God on behalf of those that were powerless. And in a period of time, the prayers of the saints began to impact that city that there was a mass revival among that those that did not know Jesus Christ. And because the believers had begun to get on their knees and pray in their homes, the city broke out into revival and that city heard the voice of God. The question I'm going to ask you today is, what does God want to do through the prayers of his church in this community, in this nation, in this state, when individual believers go into their lighthouses and begin to pray? What would happen in our neighborhoods, in our places of business, in our city and in our suburbs if we began to, and I'm not saying we don't pray, don't take this as condemnation, it, sort of phraseology. I could rephrase that. But what would truly happen if we prayed with fervency? There's many prayer groups here, so bear with me, please. For those who do not know him, what would happen if that really began to be a, an urgent focus of our prayers? I believe this is one of the answers. I believe that the power of darkness would be broken over their lives. I believe that souls of the lost would become tender. I believe that laborers would be tapped on the shoulder and prompted by the Spirit to come across their path. A man, a woman with a message. And I believe that we would see salvation scalar. And we would see Australia, Dallas, Brito, Santos really walk into its destiny as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. Numbers of years ago, I had this scripture given to me. It was an experience I had experienced when I was ministering on some of this very topic. It was in Glenn Hankins' uh, son and daughter's church in North Carolina. 
as I was beginning to talk about the power of prayer for the lost, I could visualize a woman in her home in that city, in Burlington, I think, North Carolina. I could imagine her in her home all alone with children, a single woman. And I knew that nobody was praying for her, not a single soul. And let me ask you the question. The loss that are in your world, is anyone praying for them? You know, there's so many people, and you can say, I don't know how to do this yet, and I'm not, I don't know how to do that yet, and I, I feel like I, I'm not ready for this yet. But, you know, there's not a believer who couldn't pray. You can sit on the bus and pray. You can go to the shops and pray. But I am telling you, our, our nation, our city, our state are full of people that individually, not praying for all of Brisbane, but individuals that God is putting on your heart. Nobody is praying for these people. What would happen if we turned our face as a conduit to the power of God and began to pray for them on their behalf uh, for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to manifest in their lives? The next slide, please. Psalm 142, verse 4 says this in the King James Version. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I'm going to invite Herman and Adriana to share uh, how they share the gospel in their world. We um, pray specifically before we go out and believe God for assignments, and we get those in our neighborhood and in other places too, in shops. One such assignment occurred really not too long ago with a guy called Joseph of Italian descent, we had a need, it was really peculiar, and uh, this guy came walking along almost out of nowhere, we don't know where he came from, but he really went out of his way to help us and uh, to uh, assist us in our situation at that time. But I just had a strong witness in my spirit that I had to share my testimony with him and tell him the gospel, and my wife shared hers too, and that from her background from a communist country and that type of thing and uh, so he really opened up and he said to us he was really impacted by what we said he said as he fixed his eyes into mine he said nobody has ever told me that before ever I didn't know it this guy was in his 40s and he said I've just been released from prison quite a long-term jail sentence we really need to believe that there are people out there who need what we've got and pray specifically for them before we go out and while we're out and evangelize while we're there. Glory to God. I would like to thank Pastor Karen very much for encouraging and inspiring us um, in witnessing to people because I was one of those that um, I didn't think I was gifted in that area and was finding it hard to share the gospel um, with people in my world. And uh, when we started going to prayer evangelism, that scripture in uh, Psalm 142.4 really spoke to me about people, that there are people that no one is praying for. So I decided um, that I will be praying every day with in partnership with God for those that no one is praying for and be led by the Holy Spirit then pray certain scriptures to do with that and also at the same time I decided to be ready to expect for those people to come into my life and 
people started coming into our lives and sometimes it was not an op- there was not an opportunity to really share the gospel with these people. But what we realized is that it was, there may, that may have been a person that no one is praying for. So we decided that we will write their name down and remember what we talked to them about and then make it a point of praying for them every day. We wrote their names on the calendar, they, 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 the day we met them, and then we committed ourselves to pray for them. In addition to praying for our neighbors, people that we've already formed friendships with and also had opportunities to witness to a degree. And just every day keep believing that there will be opportunity either through us or then other people that God will bring to their lives to witness to them. So I believe there are little um, cues or a little... Um, Things that God can give you to help you to evangelize in your own world. So if you would have a look at the document that you have, thank you so much, Sherman and Andrea, Anna, that uh, show us that there really are simple ways to minister the gospel. If you look at the document that you were handed at the door, uh, part of it looks like the same that we had last uh, month, but I want to share just a few things with this. And one is, is that you can ask the Lord who the Lord is putting on your heart to minister to in this gospel toolkit. But there are some things that we can go further on that, and that is that there may be certain things that the Lord is asking you to uh, pray for, for them that will come to your mind as a, a word of knowledge. Or there may be, there's new columns there that the Lord is asking you uh, to do something. There's something that he's leading you to do to help make that intersection and that connection. And then in the second section, you can see that the Lord can give you a strategy. That, uh, you know, our everyday world is full of very ordinary intersections and connections. But when the Lord prompts you and he gives you a strategy, uh, that's as divine as any strategy that you'd find in the Bible. Because we are joining God on his mission. And he's saying, here's a, here's a way that can help you share um, <clears throat> who I am with them. I mentioned this at a meeting recently, but in the last session we had that both Pastors Tony and Patsy Caminetti had this same form, not doing the form together, went to the Lord. Both of them got the same four people in the same order, and they have a sense, lost people, people who don't know the Lord, and they have a sense of what they're to do to make those intersections and connections. And the team we had over the last number of months, Kibron, who's a pastor of the Eritrean Eritrean Church, I don't know how to say that country, bear with me, it's the one in Africa. Uh, pastor Kibron uh, had this same assignment. And he went to the Lord, and when he put down the names of the people that the Lord put on his heart, uh, the Lord gave him 10 families. 10 families. And over the next week, he felt one of his strategies was he was to fast and pray, which he did. It's not required, but it's just the strategy the Lord gave him. And then the Lord gave him a strategy to go visit each one of those families. So over the next week, he went and visited each one of those families, mom, dad, uh, children, aunties, uncles, who was ever living in that house. And with a, a strategy from heaven, an assignment from the Lord, he went and visited 10 families. And over that week, eight families, every member of that family came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One man with a message, with a strategy from heaven. 
uh, that we call that prayer evangelism. Emily is going to come and she's going to share about some other things related to prayer. Then so will Benny and uh, we'll move forward from there. Hello, everybody. I'm going to go over a couple of the ways that we pray for the lost. So we actually went into more depth on this in the last evangelism revolution session, which is on the 30th of May. So if you would like any more in-depth teaching on ways to pray for the lost and how, you can go back and listen to the podcasts from the 30th of May. So how do I develop a heart for evangelism? We all know that we're called to be evangelists because Jesus said, go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. So it's all of our responsibilities to go and evangelize in the world. But how do we get a heart for that? And I was one of those people like Adriana that I didn't feel that that was my thing, you know. And so what you, the word of God contains the answer for everything. And God says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So we put God's word in our heart in abundance. And, you know, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice. Because that's what an orange is full of. And if we fill our heart with what God says about ministering to the lost and what we can do through Christ who strengthens us, someone will just have to touch you gently and it'll just come out of you. It'll be automatic. So we put the word of God into ourselves concerning what God has commissioned us to do. So what I encourage you to do, and this is what I did, is make it a daily declaration that I am a powerful woman of God. I am anointed to teach and preach the word of God. People come into my life, divine appointments, divine encounters. I boldly declare the gospel because I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you are putting the word of God into your heart concerning those things. That, and then you can do all of those things through Christ who strengthens you. So that is how you can develop your own heart for evangelism. So how do we pray for the lost? And you could be praying for the lost on a global scale, you know, across the whole world, or people in your own circle that are lost, family members and all those kind of things. One of the most effective ways to pray for the lost is to confess God's word over them. So one of the common arguments that you might hear about praying for the lost is, we can't impose our will on these people. But guess what? We're not imposing our will on people. We're enforcing and, and establishing God's will for those people. Why? Because God says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9 that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 that he desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's word is his will. So when we pray God's word over the lost, we are praying his perfect will over them. And we are, in fact, doing exactly what Jesus instructed all of us to do in Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13, the Lord's Prayer, and to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray the word of God, we are making a demand on the kingdom of God and establishing God's will on earth as it is in heaven in the lives of those people. And then you might say, well, if it is God's will that all men be saved, why aren't all men saved? Because we have an enemy 
and his name is the devil. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that the God of this world, the God small g of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so that they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel. They cannot see the light. There's an enemy that blinds people's eyes to the truth and they can't see the truth. People are hostile to or reject the gospel because there's an enemy that's blinding their eyes. It's not their own opinions, their own um, you know, ideas and beliefs and philosophies. It's an enemy that's blinding their eyes because we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. But guess what? We have authority over the enemy. God has given us authority over all of the power of the enemy. And when we speak to the enemy that's blinding people's eyes in the name of Jesus, he has to bow his knee and he has to flee. So I'm going to give you a quick example of what it looks like to take authority over the enemy that's blinding people's eyes and to pray God's word over them and establish his will for them. Okay, so you might have a family member named Tim. We'll use Tim as an example. So you can say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I bind you. I forbid you to lie to Tim, to deceive him, to blind his eyes to the truth. In the name of Jesus, you bow your knee and you flee from him. And then we establish God's will for Tim by saying scriptures like Jeremiah 24 verse 7. Thank you, Lord, that Tim has a heart to know you, that you are the Lord. He is your son and you are his God. And Tim turns to you with all his heart. Or you can pray Colossians 1 verse 3. Lord, I thank you that Tim has been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the Son of God and he has redemption and forgiveness. And see, you've taken care of that enemy that's blinding his eyes. Now, he may not flee straight away, but that's where you resist him and he has to flee. And then you're establishing God's will for Tim by speaking the word of God over him. Okay, and that is how you pray effectively for the lost people. Another really effective way to pray for the lost is praying in tongues. Romans 8 verse 26 to 27, I'll just uh, mention the first part, says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. And what are our weaknesses? We do not know what to pray as we ought. That is our weakness. We don't know how to pray. How do I pray effectively for this person so that they have a divine encounter with God and they have a a divine connection with someone who leads them to the Lord? We may not know how to pray all of that into uh, to happen, but the Spirit knows how to pray and He will make intercession for us. So that one hundred percent perfect part of us, our spirit, is praying a 100% perfect prayer over that person, over that situation, and we don't have to have any natural knowledge of how it's all going to happen. God's got all the bases covered. So what we can do is we can pray, Lord, I pray for the all of the lost people in this world. Or you can mention specific people in your own life and then just pray in tongues and pray over them and know that that spirit, your spirit is praying a perfect prayer for that person and God promises 
promises us, Romans 8.28, that all things will work together for our good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Fantastic. Great stuff, Emily. Thank you for sharing. Um, As Emily had just mentioned, praying um, for the lost by praying in the Holy Spirit or praying in other tongues, um, I'll be sharing on praying with our understanding. However, I will mention that praying for the lost is most effectively done by praying in the Holy Spirit. That's like my number one go-to. And then secondary is praying things that I'm already aware of, which I believe is quickened to me by the Holy Spirit that's living inside of me. So the Holy Spirit, he is God himself, and he knows everything about everything. He knows everything about every person. And he knows everything about every person that doesn't know him that you're aware of. And he can bring to your attention particular things that will come to your mind. It may just pop into your mind. Really, it's originating from your spirit. And when you get something in your spirit, that illuminates your mind. But it first happens in your spirit. So being aware of the Holy Spirit is a way which you can target your prayers um, for the most effective results when coming uh, concerning praying about the lost, including uh, praying about believers. It's the same way. So the Holy Spirit, which indwells us, he will give you the things. And as soon as you have those things in your mind, you pray it out with your understanding. As I mentioned, praying with the Holy Spirit, as in baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying in other tongues, is the most effective. That's where you're not aware of the situation. So I'll give you some practical examples. I may have a particular workmate who I know is not saved, but I'll just have um, an idea of their family situation, which they're going through. They're having a rough time. Purely by the things that they're saying, they may not say certain things about the family situation, and the Holy Spirit can bring it up. And I'll just have it on my heart. I'll just keep thinking about that person. And then I have a a sense that there's something going on with their family. So I'll just pray with my understanding. Father God, I lift up this person. I lift up their situation. I don't know everything about that situation. But I ask that you're able to help them in this situation. That you'll calm things down. That you'll smooth things out. That you'll bring them closer to you. That you'll send different people across their path, across their family. So that's things which I'm aware of in my understanding, and that's how I pray with the understanding. Different to praying in the Holy Spirit, where I'm speaking in other tongues, but my understanding doesn't really know what I am actually praying, but I just know I am praying out the perfect will of God for that person. We're going to talk about another secret to supernatural soul winning. One was prayer evangelism. The second is praying for strategies to build relationships with the lost. It's another true secret to supernatural soul winning. It can be called relational evangelism. And when you're involved in relational evangelism, one of the things that takes place as you journey with someone to their point of salvation is that you're often involved in what I call pre-salvation discipling. You're beginning to share with them as their heart opens things about God and who he is, and in that you are discipling them on the way to salvation. Now, sometimes people get born again through a a journey, 
a journey or a path. Other people will get born again. I do a lot of street ministry, <clears throat> minister to people on airplanes and things like that. Just get born again right on the spot, right there when you meet them. On the other hand, there are many other people that believers will journey with on their way to discovering who Jesus Christ is. Now, in relational evangelism, as a tool to supernatural soul winning, you begin to go to the Lord and ask him who to befriend on purpose uh, for the purpose and the intention of winning them to Jesus Christ. I want to talk about a couple other things. I'm going to invite Benny in just a moment, but I want to talk about another way that you can add a strategy, relational uh, strategy to uh, relational evangelism. And one of those are acts of kindness and also gifts. Um, one of a person I was studying evangelism with was talking about if you give gifts to uh, someone who's not born again, sometimes it will just open their heart up. And so I have some Asians managers of the townhouse house that I live in, and I got it in my heart. They're from oh, I forget which country now. Um, they're, they're, they just love certain things, and I got some of those things. They were little teacups. And I put them in a beautiful sack, and I stuck them outside the door uh, saying Merry Christmas and then a track from Raymond Family Church. Uh, 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 the man definitely is not born again. And, uh, and I stuck them outside their house. Really cost me nothing, a little bit of time, the nudge on the shoulder from the Holy Spirit. The next day, I'm in the middle of a Zoom meeting, and in the middle of this Zoom meeting, even though there's a sign on the door, please don't interrupt when I'm in a meeting, bang, 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 bang in my name, being called out, and there were my managers uh, my two Asian managers with more presence than I'd ever thought of just because I gave them teacups, which the Lord had touched me to do, touched my heart to do. But gifts sometimes will open the door in some ways where you just are looking for a way to minister uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word to lead them to Christ. I have a friend who's a hairdresser in a high-dollar salon where they uh, pay uh, everywhere from uh, five to eight hundred dollars, a thousand dollars for some of the services. Uh, she now is there as a minister of the gospel and a high dollar hairdresser. But when she's there, the Lord put a lady on her heart who she could tell every time she went to the loo, she would come out and she'd be crying. She had been sobbing. And so alerted as a believer, she began to reach out to that lady. That lady began to weep when she found out somebody really cared and noticed and they've began to interchange, and she's being a minister in her own world. I have, a, a, I have some friends in Seattle. They decided that they were going to be pastors in their own neighborhood. And so every Christmas they'd have a party, not a wild party, but a nice party for the neighbors. They'd invite the neighbors over. The neighbors knew that when the light was on, and their, that the light on their porch was always on. You can say that you leave the light on your porch if people are in trouble that it's just a, a phrase. In other words, you're there to help. They would invite the neighbors over. None of them were born again. And every year they would invite them over, and as ministers in the world on their block, they would begin to find ways out of relational evangelism to find open doors to share the gospel. One Christmas, one New Year's, there was a knock at their door, Seattle, freezing cold, snow and ice, knock at their door. Not winter, not December in Australia. And there was a couple just up the street. And they said, you know, we know that you, uh, you're, you're Christians and you love Jesus. We got a tr we've got some real trouble. Our daughter's missing and she's been missing for two weeks. 
And uh, the detectives didn't look for her straight away, but were absolutely beside ourselves. Uh, They had a real ministry assignment on their hands as pastors on their block, a real ministry assignment. Let me share with you, regularly they continued to minister to that family. I do believe to this day that daughter is still missing, still missing. Benny, come and talk to us about some other ways to minister acts of kindness and things like that. So working at a sushi restaurant, um, Eva, my wife and I, we both noticed that there was a particular chef there that was very, I guess, who was quite a hard type of fellow. Uh, We didn't really quite understand why, but he was kind of like barking at the different uh, staff members and acting, you know, just a bit grouchy towards the customers at times. And uh, over the course of us working there, um, the Lord had prompted us um, that, well, I guess he mentioned something to us where we noticed that he likes strawberries. So you got this, you know, he's kind of a big fellow. He's quite hard. He's quite tough. But we found out that he likes strawberries. Well, his birthday had, like, just come around, and we felt prompted by the Holy Spirit just to go out and invest some money in just getting him a very nice strawberry cheesecake. And we took it to work. Um, after I'd finished my shift. So I just left. He thought we were going home, but we went to the uh, cheesecake place and we selected a real nice cheesecake, felt prompted of the Lord just to do so. Um, and we came back and we, we gave him the cheesecake and everyone in the sushi restaurant, they were just all you know singing happy birthday to him. And he got like pretty embarrassed, but he was very moved and very touched by it. And um, I just remember this moment afterwards when he he called me and Eva over and he said, hey, please have some cheesecake. And he, his demeanor had changed, his his hardness. It's like that, that whole outer hard shell, almost cracked like an egg. And he was just very soft, almost like a teddy bear. He was like, please have some cheesecake. Thank you so much. And just by that one act of kindness, it just opened him right up to becoming suddenly very receptive to me and Eva. He was wondering why we had done that. And we just said that we felt prompted of the Lord. We just said we feel like God wanted to bless you with a cheesecake. He loves you. And um, just over the course of different shifts, because he was now in an open state, um, a receptive state, we were able to share particular things concerning him going to heaven. And that, yes, God would... um, welcome him with open arms, that he loves you right now. And we were able to share such truths to him. And he was just saying that he, he's a bad, he feels like he's a bad guy and what he's done, he doesn't feel like God would ever accept him. And we were just able to bust those lies from the devil and just let him know that the Father God loves him, cares about him, and wants to have a relationship with him. Thank you, Benny. You know what? Sometimes we underestimate the power of a testimony of a believer. This lady that I've studied evangelism with was a, a, a young Australian, wild young Australian. She went on a trip after uh, a period of time. You know, she had been doing some professional things, and she just went to Europe. And when she was in Greece, she met an American when she was there. And this American, there was something, it was a man, something rather attractive about him. One was that he was a man. And number two, there was just something that she couldn't put her her finger on. She says it this way. I was in Greece for several weeks, and she said, it's such a wild time, I don't even remember what Greece looks like. She was like that kind of Australian young lady. 
Well, something got in her heart to go chase this young man, and so she got on an airplane to Los Angeles. And she uh, goes to this young man's house, and he picks her up from the airport, and he said, I'm, I'm inviting you to a meeting at my, my mother's house, a meeting at my mother's house. And she said, oh, well, okay. She said, uh, he said to her, you know, he said, I've been praying for you. And she said, you, you, you've been praying for me? And he said, yeah. And she said, well, well how do you do that? And he said, well, um, I know God. And she goes, you know God? And he said, yeah. He said, I know God. And she said, oh, you know God? And he said, yeah. And he said, and I talk to God. And he goes, you you talk to God? He goes, yeah, I talk to God, and I I talk to God about you. You you did? And he said, yeah. So she uh, goes with him in the car, uh, this young American man, something attractive about him. And uh, she goes to this house, and uh, uh, to make it simple, it it was a connect group. It was a connect group. She goes to the house, and here's her recollection of that moment. She said, I walked in, and she said, everybody said hello. They were, like, really nice, like, really, like, really nice. And I looked in the kitchen. There was a lot of food. And then we go into the lounge room, and she said, and you know what they did in the lounge room? I said, no. She said, well, they got in a circle. You know, they, they got in a circle. And, and you know what they did in that circle? And I said, no. She said, they sang. They sang. I said, you know any of the songs? She said, no, I didn't know any of those songs. And, I, and she said, when they sang, I looked at them, and she said, I thought, like, I've got to be in this place. They all look like a bunch of angels. They're singing songs I've never heard of before, and they just look like, you know, they just were like in another realm and another dimension. And this is a very intelligent, modern Australian young woman. And she is, like, you know, amazed. And one of the things she's amazed by is that in that room, every person seemed like they also probably talked to God. They also probably all knew God. I mean, these are just people in in Los Angeles. These are preachers. And she said, and when I was there, there was something that happened I can never, I never anticipated in my life. I said, what happened? She said, I couldn't believe it. I started sobbing my heart out. And I was so embarrassed, and I couldn't stop. And it was, <laughs> and it was just crying and crying and crying. And she said, you know what they did next? And I said, no. She said, oh, they all hugged me. They all came around, and they hugged me, and they cried, and they said they loved me, and some of them prayed for me. I had never seen anything like it in my entire life. It was such an unusual experience. And I said, what would you do next? And she said, well, we all had food. They all told me they... I'd never met these people before, and they all said, we love you. Oh, my God, can you believe it? They all loved me. And she said, I went home, and I looked at the ceiling of the hotel room, and I thought, I have never, ever, ever, ever in my life thought about God, maybe once or twice. What I saw tonight was very, very real. And I looked up at the ceiling, and I said, I give up. If that's who you are, well, okay. <laughs> and she got born again, looking up at that ceiling, receiving Jesus into her heart. Please don't underestimate the attractiveness and the lure of the power of God that's resonant within you. If you could look at the second sheet on your uh, handout, I'm going to talk about another amazing strategy about winning the world to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about an adoption plan and being ministers in your own world. 
The Bible says in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, that we are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. You know, when you adopt a child or you take someone in, one of the things that happens with the adoption of someone who is not your own is there are certain things that take place. We're talking about the lost, and we're talking about what it would mean to adopt the lost in a plan and a strategy that would impact our world that relates to this very concept. You would begin to assume the responsibility for that child and bring them up and take care of them, tender, loving care, as if they're your own, and you would care for them and you would look after them. You would pray for them like Jesus who wept over Jerusalem. He wept over them because they didn't understand that there had already and was a visitation. That, was, that wrenched his heart that we would take some people in that don't know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about inviting them to live in your house, okay? Just think the concept a little bit further. And that they would understand that we would make available to them that salvation is available. Now, when we talk about adoption... You can see on this form, there's a lot of ways that we can begin to adopt the lost. In other words, take on the responsibility to tend after them and care after them as if they're a divine and a holy assignment given to us from the Lord. You could adopt a suburb. You could adopt like in Argentina. You could adopt a street. And like Herman and Adriana, you could adopt an individual. You could adopt a family, a company a stranger, a relative, a neighbor, a friend, a colleague, a co-worker. And you begin to ask the Lord, the next slide we'll move to, through the power of prayer, that he could introduce you to purposeful assignments and strategies that are right within your own world, things that he would call you to do. He would give you divine and holy assignments. I'd like to talk to, it about, to you about it this way. You know, if we were beginning to minister within our own world, there's a concept and there's a, uh, an organization in Australia that uses this phraseology, and I'm going to borrow it from them. We could become urban revs. Urban revs within our own world. We began to adopt families and neighborhoods and streets and businesses and people in our own world who are not born again, and we become an urban rev to them. We adopt them as if we would take them in and pastor them in the marketplace or in the world with the love and the care of Jesus Christ. There was a young lady that I had talked to about this. She's a lawyer, uh, a, well, a, a, a tremendous lawyer, and she began to feel that the Lord was telling her that she was to adopt the law firm, to tend after and to take care of in the realm of the Spirit, and to hear the Lord for things for them, to lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And she was to adopt, adapt, adopt the people within her law firm. And she began to pray that the Lord would put people across her path. And within about a week and a half later, a very well-known solicitor from Brisbane was visiting this law firm in the Gold Coast. And he asked her if he could speak with her in her office after their professional meeting. 
And as he began to share, she realized that he was leaning on her for the, the life of God that was resonant within her, and she was beginning to pastor him within the workplace and be that urban rev. And she said, for about three minutes, she said, I thought, what am I going to do with him? And then she went, oh, yeah, I'm an urban rev. I'm going to begin to minister. And as he began to share his story with her heartache after heartache, she just began to minister out of the life of God that's resonant within her from her relationship with Jesus Christ and what she knows to be true in the word of God. And after about an hour and a half, this very well-known lawyer got born again, gloriously born again, because one believer had begun to pray and ask the Lord how she could tend after and take care of those that were in the law firm, because that's where her mission field is. She's on assignment in her world, and she was an urban rev within that setting. I want to share with you that I believe honestly that if we are to follow the spirit of the living God for the places and people that we're, we're surrounded by, by and where we work and, and we move in and among, I want to share with you that if we really took this assignment to heart, that the Lord has a congregation for you among the lost. He has a congregation that's waiting for people who will pastor them within the world, will be a witness to them about who Jesus Christ is. I get a sense of it that they really are by the spirit of the Lord, your flock, people that he's calling you to tend after and to take after and to take care of. I've got some people on my list. I'm sure that many of you do, but if we began to take this seriously, we would bring them to the Lord in prayer. We would ask for strategies and ways to open their heart like strawberry cheesecakes and, you know, mugs for, you know, little cups and saucers for my, my next-door neighbors and things that we could drop by and do. And uh, Marisa and I, we were going to show some more videos, but our time is moving. But there are things where she would bring her neighbor's willy bins in. What was that, just being nice to the neighbor? Oh, no, she is in a modern-day world doing modern-day assignments. It was something God had asked her to do. See, modern-day missions and ministry and evangelism is made out of ordinary people infused with an ordinary God, extraordinary God that does things that open hearts in our everyday world that's just as divine, as holy as anything else he's ever called you to. And anything like that of that nature that would open the heart of a man or a woman to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ has got to be graced and anointed from heaven. It's just not written in the Bible like that. There wasn't wheelie bin ministry in those days. There wasn't strawberry cheek, cheesecake ministry in those days. But it's made out of that very same thing that the heart of the Father stirs our hearts towards people. We could ask ourselves these questions, and, and those questions can be, who is our flock? Who is our congregation out in the world that the Lord is giving us to share the gospel with? As urban revs, we can take the responsibility for the people the Lord has assigned us to, and I put these notes here on the bottom of that second page. When we take, uh, when we take responsibility for the people that the Lord has called us to that are not born again in our world, there's several things we can do. I call this pastoral evangelism. Another way is to be an urban rev. One of the things we can do is that we can be present. There are several P's here. We can be present. We can be there for them. I remember somebody when I was working and I was a high school teacher, someone was really going through some stuff, you know, hard things. And I would sit and listen 
and I would listen and I would care. I would listen and I would care and I was there for that person. We can be there for them. We can pastor them. What this means in this kind of instance is that we would tend after them. We would care for them. We would truly care about them. We would minister to their needs in the ways that we can. I want to tell one of Benny's stories. He has a friend who's not born again. I met that, that friend at a housewarming. Benny and Eva befriended them, and this friend called, and they had a chat, and they chat every now and then, not yet born again. One of the things that when they called about, he told Benny that somebody had stolen their car because Benny cared for them, and he was led by the Spirit of the living God. He prayed and took authority on the earth that that car would return, and he called him, and I don't remember how quickly later he called him, and that car was back. We're friends of God. We also know him. We can talk to God on their behalf. We can uh, develop a genuine relationship with them. My friends in the world know that I care. Some of them call me their best friend. And I haven't even met their parents. Uh, we can be a priest to them. What does that really mean? The Bible says each one of us are a priest, king and heir. We can minister the grace, the forgiveness, and the mercy and the love of God to them. Ever met any sinners, any lost people? Bible calls them heathens, not born again, that have really done some stuff. Oh, my goodness. When I worked at this one place, I don't have time to tell you the story, but when I worked at this one place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I've never worked with so many absolutely sinful people in my entire living, breathing days. I had never been around that many people that lived like that. But you know what? Because they knew I knew Jesus, many of them would end up in my office, and they'd tell me these terrible stories terrible and i just would think how do i latch on to the grace and the mercy of god for this one but you know what it was their hearts that were broken and my responsibility to be a conduit and a connection to god for them and so i would minister out of my heart to them whatever i could grab that would would fit the circumstance that the word would allow me to do and i would i would minister the love of god to them I certainly could tell them, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. We can be a prophet to them. And this way, we're talking about proclaiming. You know, believer's level of proclaiming. The message of Jesus Christ. In any opportunity, find ways to develop spiritual conversations to share the wonderful story of Jesus as they will allow you. Assist them along their way in their journey to discovering Jesus Christ. Help them to understand and establish a, a Christian worldview. Share your personal testimony, and we'll be talking further about in that in the next seminar, and about what God is continuing to do for you. If he's real, tell them about your blessings. They're always going to be fascinated by things that they know you couldn't pull off, that they know you must have connected with God for. Be a kingdom representative. And by being a kingdom representative, that means that when we go out into our world, that we keep ourselves built up, full of fresh bread and living water, the life of God, being an example as being a, a transformed one, being vigilant in prayer and purpose, and in order to lead them to the fold and to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you have anything else, Benny? All right. And so we're going to talk and we're going to we're going close in just a minute or two. But if you could consider taking up the position 
as an unofficial chaplain, an urban rev, uh, prayer eva- prayer, prayer pastoral uh, evangelism. You'll find yourself flying in under the radar as a minister of the gospel, bringing the church to wherever the lost are at. And if you can't at this point in time encourage them to join in the life of the church, special events and services and connect groups and uh, youth and children, if you cannot at this point in time get them into that kind of rhythm and pattern, then bring the church to them. Bring the church to the marketplace. Minister to them at work, in the office, at lunch, Text them. I, I, have, I have people who are not born again. I text stuff all the time too. My social media is also for me an evangelistic tool. When we could still fly, was, last time I was flying to Los Angeles, I was sitting in nearly the back row of the airplane, which is always like, you know, not your favorite seat. And I was there three across with a couple. They had been traveling Australia uh, on their honeymoon. So for the next 12 hours, I joined them on their honeymoon. We got to know each other really well. They're from a French part of Canada. The husband only spoke, mostly only spoke French. And the wife, really cute lady, I asked her what she did. She said, guess, I guessed she was a teacher. She wasn't that. I guessed a bunch of other things of that nature. She was a veterinarian. She was a veterinarian. And why that was, she was raised in the city. And she was a veterinarian because she had always dreamed of working with cows. I was raised on a cow farm. We'd had other things there, but I hated cows. Thought there was nothing cool about them. My family raised Holsteins, were the black and white ones. Glenn Hankins' family, we used to have wars about this, raised jerseys. Those are those little short red ones. Don't even talk back yet. I'm in charge. And so, but he'll tell all about things about sweet jersey milk. I hated cows, and I'm sitting next to a veterinarian that married this man. She was on an internship in his farm, and the reason she fell in love with him is he had a barn full of Holsteins. You know what, when we were standing in the back of the airplane near the loo with everybody else that was back there, yakking all night long, I asked her the eternal question if she knew how to get to heaven when she passed away, and she did not know the answer, and I shared that with her, and she said, I really wish I could do that, and I said, it's so simple, you can do that right now. Over the next number of years, she and I have stayed friends in one of my friends' Facebook, and I've introduced her to French pastors that are in Canada who have connected with her. And recently she got her child uh, dedicated to the Lord because she knew that that was important. One believer with a message, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit anywhere we go within our world. We may, not, we may look like ordinary people, but we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We are born again. We have the Spirit of God resonant upon us and within us. And let me tell you what, when we come to the church, when we go to the Bible, and when we go to pray, we get filled up to go out into our world to the great congregation that God has called us to minister to. When we minister, we minister from the heart of the Father. If my team could also join me on the side here, stand up at the front with me. We minister out of the heart of the Father. And one of the keys to supernatural soul winning is this. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says this. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. In the Message Bible, Matthew 9, verse 36 through 38, it says this. We're talking about the love of God and ministering out of the heart of the Father. Then Jesus met a circuit 
made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places reporting kingdom news, and he healed their diseased bodies. He healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said the disciples. But how few are the workers. On your knees, this version says, on your knees and pray for harvest hands. It is our assignment in this day, this time, this hour and the season in which we are here on the face of the earth to be alert, to know the times, to intersect with the power of the Holy Spirit, to do divine and holy assignments that God has called us to do. Together we as a team are going to pray. And if you could join us in prayer, you're welcome to pray in the Holy Ghost for people that the Lord is putting on your heart. And then following that, Benny will close this session. So, Father, right now, we just for a moment, just for a moment, lift up to you people that are on our hearts, and we begin to pray in the Spirit for them. I'm thinking of one of my neighbors right now. Father, right now, I pray that hearts that we are praying for are open that we know who to pray for, that we know who to strike up a relationship with on behalf of the kingdom, that we know who to minister to, that we know who our flock is among those that are not born again. We thank you for the grace and the anointing. We thank you that we are released into the ministry of the believer. We thank you that we have the opportunity and the privilege to partner with God and to join him on mission. And we will close with this comment, and then Benny will close the session. Supernatural soul winning is accomplished by ordinary believers, empowered by an extraordinary God who gives us divine strategies to bring the message of the gospel, the wonderful story of Jesus, to those who do not yet know him. Benny. Well, thank you, everyone, for attending. This concludes our Evangelism Revolution mini-conference. Thank you for making the time, and a thank you to those that have been streaming as well. We, um, you can join us again on the 31st of October, which is the fifth Sunday, um, the next fifth Sunday coming up. And as Emily mentioned, you can revisit our podcast for our first session on this um, on the 30th of May this year. Thank you. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.